Would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand, left hand? The story of good and evil? H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. A right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one against the other. Oh, brother, left hand. Left hand hates a fighting. And it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won. And old left hand hate is down for the count. And welcome back to another episode of the Fear of God podcast, Um, that intersection between faith and fear. Uh, Here on this podcast, we talk about that those those random confluences of things related to the Christian faith and things related to horror media. Sometimes it's movies. Oftentimes it's movies. Sometimes it's other random bits of media minutiae. Regardless, hang on. We're going to get to what we're talking about today on this, our 53rd episode, which is very exciting. We are, in fact, in our anniversary month. And this is, if if you're new to the podcast, um, you are listening right now to Nathan Rouse, uh, one of two illustrious, if I dare use that word, hosts who join you every week um, to bring you robust and occasionally ribald discussions. Um, typically with me is just old college roommate, uh, best man at my wedding, Reed Lackey. Um, he, he was here for a minute. So, so I know he's, well, I say he's okay. He, he looked a little pallid, a little ashen in the face. He said something about his whole body just quivering with cleanness. And then he just jetted out of the frame. I really don't, I really don't know what, um, but who knows exactly what that's a reference. Reed, Reed, you're back. And you look, you look better. Uh, you, you, you got a little, got a little color in your cheeks. Yes, I am. Uh, I can add now another word to the list of, or yeah, to the list of words. I never want to hear you say, and that's quivering. I never want to hear you say that ever again. Okay. So, uh, just take so, so that. well, just, 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 just to clarify the way you just said it was quivering. What about quivering? Uh, no, is, no, it, is it kind of both? Are they both in the column? There shall be no derivation of the word quivering <laughs> that, or quivering so, or quiver or quiv. Qui- with a G on or, the end at all. Yeah, or, or any of that nonsense ever come out of your mouth again. Not when speaking to me, please. Okay. Please. No. Well, 
Well, technically, I was speaking to the people. Uh, you just happened. You just happened to show back up in the midst of me defending uh, your absence. Exactly. Um, regardless, so you're back. Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too. Um, I don't know if you caught this part. We are actually on episode 53. I don't know if you've been keeping up. Yes, um, I'm very excited about that. Know. So we're still in anniversary month, I guess technically. Exactly. So um, exactly. This is yeah. This is very fun. 53 episodes. Um, and I couldn't be more excited about what we're talking about today. Uh, if the audience audience has not already seen it or haven't hadn't picked up on your clue from quivering with cleanness but uh I, well that's a, that's a pretty deep cut I, don't, I, I would <laughs> i would guess few people would be able to just on a on a dime know what that's from <laughs> that's a good point uh, if they had not seen it already um before we dive too far or stroll too far or um you know uh, uh move if you will too far down our river you like I like injury? it. I you like know? it a lot. Before yes. we, before we just, what's the word I'm looking for there? What do you do in a boat down a river? <laughs> you, you sail. <laughs> well, but if you don't have a sail, you we float row down a river. Well, they didn't have before rows. we float. That's it. That's it. That's the word I'm looking we for. We all we'll float. float. We all float down here. <laughs> uh, in this river, in that river, we we quiver in the boat while we float, um, and we're and we're all gonna do it. <laughs> oh, wow, this is already okay. Off the rails. So. We're like two minutes before in. we float too far down there. I feel like a nincompoop for that word not coming to me in the moment. Um, it's been a long day. Uh, before we float too far down the river, do you have any podcast business you would like to address for the people? Just some very brief podcast business. If you're listening to this on the uh, day that the episode downloads, then uh, you only have like two more days to vote for hashtag I love the 90s. We are closing down the voting on September 1st. So you have. To go to Facebook, you have to go to Twitter, you have to email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com if you have not already taken the survey to have your votes counted for hashtag I love the 90s, the favorite horror films of the 1990s, then do so, because on September 1st, the ranked list will be locked and we will be uh, pressing forward with our very, very fun series in October, which I'm very much looking forward to. So yeah, get your votes Reed, in. Did, did you... Did you cast your vote? I did. Are we allowed to vote? Did we? We didn't really. We better be allowed to vote. I, just we we can only vote. Oh, once. Well, I gotta get my I gotta get my votes in. You <laughs> sure do. You sure do. Um, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to hashtag I love the '90s immediately to be followed by hashtag Stranger Things giving. That's exactly right. Um, to in this case immediately be followed by what you watching, <laughs> what you reading. <laughs> Oh, what you're listening to? Yeah. Listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Putting stank on it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just just, just quivering with cleanness. Um. This <laughs> 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 oh, We're trying to have a serious no. conversation here. You know? No. Not yet. Not yet we aren't. But um, I'm sure at some point it will take a turn for the... Uh, stayed and serious. So uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about things we are watching, reading, and or and listening or to. listening to. Are you are you adding that to the song now? Yes, and or listening to. Um, um, so what about what about you, my friend? So I've been listening to a lot. Uh, you could call this a listening slash watching. Um, I've been on a little bit of a stand up comedy kick, specifically Jim Gaffigan. Have you heard much Jim Gaffigan? Uh, some i've seen a couple of his live shows like on netflix and stuff right, and i right. started i started dad is fat and then it felt too biographical so i, 
I put huh? it down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I did start that book. I, I did not finish it though. But continue. He's delightful. I mean, I just I'm not even going to attempt to try any of his comic bits because I wouldn't be able to do any of them justice. But he is hysterical, and I've just been listening to a lot of them. I think in a run uh, about maybe over the course of six or seven days, I listened to all five of his Netflix specials because it was just something that I could have on in the background while I was doing other things. And uh, yeah, he's delightful. So my I've been spending a lot of time. Are, are we gonna are we gonna change our song to what you watch and reading listening to have on in the background while doing random chores that would be so much to try to fit in <laughs> eventually the watch and read and listening to song is going to be right. 20 minutes right. that it's all of the things what you watch and read and do and listening to mowing the lawn what you getting dressed with what you're brushing your teeth with <laughs> wow it's just, wow it's just gonna yeah. go completely off the rails um but no so uh yeah jim gaffigan is fantastic i'm sure our listeners are probably already familiar with him but if you're not my favorite of his specials is uh the one called mr universe that's my that's my favorite of them it's i think the third in his little series but uh but that's my personal favorite and it is uh delightful and hilarious and jim gaffigan's great and i love him (laughs) okay well that's awesome yeah i I, like i said i've seen a couple of those i can't remember if i've seen that specific one or not um for myself mine have been i've got two and both of them are listening twos actually um so in september uh this episode will air still sometime in oh maybe in the beginning early september um in late september um i will be trekking to atlanta um to see arcade fire uh, oh wow for the, for the for the first time ever and so in prep for that i have been <clears throat> really just in the last couple of days uh spinning as the kids put it their new uh cd everything now i don't know if you oh i haven't that heard that or, one yet no no i haven't um you know i love neon bible and really like the one that's before it i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but i did not i did not listen much at all to reflector which was their one previous to everything now um but knowing you know like like you did with share like you did with share if you know you're gonna go see them it's time to brush up on their material that's true um so i've been listening to that uh and i i dig it i dig it if you're an arcade fire fan there's a couple of tracks that are like meh but overall it's it's been very enjoyable and danceable uh, if you will, I really like Arcade Fire a lot, but I like you like Neon Bible is the prime rib of uh, Arcade Fire. I love Neon Bible. That's such a great album. Uh, the second thing I, I uh, listened to recently to piggyback a couple of weeks ago, I did go back and listen to On Being, the episode featuring Richard Rohr. Have oh, you read Richard, Richard Rohr. Rohr? Yeah, yeah, I sure have. Um, I read. Oh gosh, what was the name of it? It was a, it was his book on. His book on prayer, I believe, uh, contemplative oh. prayer, but I can't remember the name of it off the top okay. of my head. What was um, it? But, I did. I did not read that one. The only one I've read by him, though, I've seen a lot of his stuff here and there, is uh, "Falling Upward," mm. um, which is a, a really beautiful book that is about. He terms it the second half of life. Um, uh-huh. That is not just meant, just not not just meant to be kind of a chrono- chronological second half of life, like you're an old person, but as in just kind of first half of life folk are very still kind of bought into kind of what we might call things like consumerism and just sort of Mm. 
you know, keeping up appearances, success, pursuit of success, all that sort of stuff, second half of life, you know, typically uh, folks who have had sort of tragedies or suffered X, Y, or Z and, and sort of, you're a bit, the, the shine is off a little bit. And so it's about, you know, kind of redeeming that part and, and, and seeing with fresh eyes, but that's all a bit incidental. I, I did read that book. Um, his on being episode is just really beautiful. Mm. Um, uh, uh, these days with three children, one of whom is relatively newborn, we aren't making it out the door on Sunday mornings to church proper too often. So these on being episodes are sort of church for me. And, and man, that one will really minister to you. Um, he's got a lot awesome. of really rich, robust things to say. And, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend that. I'm going to have to check out podcasts more frequently out because this is now the third episode that you've recommended to me. And I think I just need to go ahead and subscribe and just uh, not that I want to, you know, point important listeners away from from our wonderful show. But sincerely, I uh, I really need to check out on being because everything that I've listened to, I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, I need to do that. Um, well, what's nice about it is, you know, I, I don't listen to it. Um uh, you know, like religiously, I don't listen to it religiously. I don't listen to every single episode. Um, but when I, when I just have like a chunk of time, generally speaking for me, it's like doing yard work. I'm going to be doing yard work for an hour and a half, two hours, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I will, I will, you know, turn one on. Um, so I can just really kind of mentally tune into what's going on. But in those moments, I'll comb through, Hey, who do I know? Who am I familiar with? And give them a, you know, yeah. Give them a listen. And so that's how I found his particular one. It's cool. He released it or, or that particular recording. I don't off the top of my head know the date. I think it was this year. He released a book most recently. His most recent book is called The Divine Dance, hmm. which is about the about the Trinity and um, uh, the character in The Matrix, that is. And, right. Um, <laughs> Played by Carrie Ann Moss. Right, I know. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. He's a big fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much so that he wrote a book about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it was in time to coincide with that book release. And so a lot of it has to do with some of the concepts he gotcha. puts forth in that. Gotcha. Um, that's, that's me. Awesome. Well, that uh, that puts another uh, rendition or edition in the books for what you're watching, what you're reading, boom, 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 boom. what you're listening to, and or listening to. <laughs> <laughs> and or listen <laughs> you lumbering down the, down the last half of it. <laughs> oh, uh, all right so that's been a fun that's a good episode reed yeah it's good to talk to you well, yeah it's um, good to see you bye you know we'll we'll catch up next week <laughs> <laughs> no 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 we have stuff to discuss man so I was so nervous for you to watch this movie. I was incredibly nervous because I was worried that something like Night of the Living Dead was going to happen, that you were going to be sleepy, that you weren't going to be, that you weren't going to finish it. <laughs> you finished Night of the Living Dead, everybody. I'm just, I'm just teasing. Yes, but, um, so, so, but In I was, two sittings. I was sincerely worried because now, granted, you have no obligation to ever feel the same way about a film that I feel about it. But there was a little bit of added weight this time around because this is a top 10 film for me, not just horror film, but like this is like my sixth favorite film of all time. It is uh, very meaningful to me because I watched it a lot when I was growing up as a child. Uh, my whole family loves it. My papa and nanny loved it a lot. My mom and da love it. Uh, it's, it's just it's been 
part of my awareness since I was a really little boy. So I was delighted to find out that you were favorable towards it. I'm not going to steal your opportunity to talk about it, but uh, we are talking, of course, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, Charles Lawton's only film that he ever directed. Charles Lawton, known for his stage and film acting, but the only film he ever directed was in 1955 called The Night of the Hunter. That is our conversation for the day. Nathan, what would you think about this movie? Well, my friend, um, (laughs) so... One, I had no idea the pedigree it held for you there. So that's, that's I something. purposefully didn't tell you that so that you would go in fresh because I didn't want to overhype it. Yeah. I, I didn't, well, yeah. In defense of me, I watch movies late and uh, there's a lot going on in life and occasionally naps need to happen some way. I don't mean for them to happen. It just <laughs> sort of, they just sort of prowl around and jump on me when I'm in the middle of a 50 year old black and white movie. Um, in defense of this one, so one, Night of the Living Dead is Night of the Living Dead, so there's a lot of hype attached to it, right? Right, right. You know, I actually, clearly, my own ignorance uh, made it so I didn't know the hype that's attached to Night of the Hunter. Oh, um, right. And in fact, our conversations about what to cover recently, you know, you and I compiled a list, we each picked a couple from the list, we landed on this one for this week and the one that ends up next week, and... You said, okay, well, let's do Night of the Hunter. Well, I, I literally, like, before going to find it in iTunes, yeah. I would not have known when it was made, who was in it. Anything about um, it. Now, once I saw the cover art with Robert Mitchum, I was like, oh, I, that rings a bell somehow, but gotcha. I didn't know yeah. any of the plot or anything. I feel like his tattooed sort of stuff is is pretty pretty infamous in terms of kind of cinema history. It definitely um, is. And pop, yeah. and pop culture history. Um the other thing this movie has going in its favor uh, is it's structurally a little wonky. And I actually don't mean that in a negative way. Right. Um, right. And so because of that, it keeps you kind of intrigued. Yeah. Um, we'll get into this a little bit. But like, so for instance, once the plot or once you think the plot has revealed itself, okay, he's going after the money from this family. Right. In, in my head, at least, and maybe to viewers for whom this will be the first time as well, I thought, okay, well, that's the movie. You know, it's going to right, be this kind of right. back and forth, kind of cat and mouse kind of thriller, which on a certain level it is. But I definitely was not anticipating that every five minutes we're going to have a change of yeah. landscape and scenario. And so f- because of that, it kept me more like, oh, I have no idea where we're floating to on this river. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, so, so anyway, all, all that to say, yeah, I mean, it, the, the actual watching of it was strong and then just the actual text of the movie. And, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but I mean, every 10 minutes, I feel like a theme is presenting itself. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. good. Start oh, jotting absolutely. notes. And then 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, it's like, well, okay, well that's kind of evolved into something else. And now you're taking notes on that. You know, it really yeah. is oh, a yeah. very rich, a very rich text. Yeah. This is the kind of film that, could be dissected. We've talked about this, uh, several other films that we've done, you know, The Witch, The Exorcist. There's several films that are just, you could take almost segments of the movie in 10-minute chunks and just talk about what's going on in those 10 minutes and build a whole episode around that. So this is obviously, we're not going to get to everything uh, in this film that there is to talk about, um, which will hopefully bleed into further conversations with our listeners. But it's definitely a meaty and a rich film. And it's a film that I think rewards 
uh, because I've seen it more than a dozen times, uh, I feel like it rewards revisiting, especially now that you know a bit more about what right. to expect. You can hone in right. on a few more moments that might have seemed benign and might have just passed right by uh, beforehand, but they can they can stand out more when you know what the significance is. There's a there's a bookend uh, synchronicity to the film. A lot of the things that happen in the early five ten minutes uh, mirror what happens in the last five ten minutes. But by the time you've gone on this whole wild right, journey, right. Uh, some of those are kind of dropped to the wayside. Um, it's it is a phenomenal achievement. Like it's the kind of it's the kind of film that rare kind of film, and I think of it a lot in these sort of terms, like Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Not the film To Kill a Mockingbird, but Harper Lee's book, in that you see a film like this and it makes you almost wish that this director had done more that they had sure, because sure. it's so accomplished that it makes you wish that they had done more, but at the same time at least for me, there's a part of me that's kind of glad they didn't do anymore because this is just this very specific, deliberate, singular little treasure in American film history um, that we can go back and revisit and and can enjoy and appreciate. So, yeah, I mean, I I will heap mountains and mountains of praise on this film. I think uh, I'm trying to get better about when I throw this word out. I don't know. If yeah, that, you, but you, I've noticed you've used some restraint lately, so uh, I can applaud you there. But uh, but I do quivering, think, right? Quivering. Uh, yes, yes, that word? exactly that word, that word. That, right, oh, right. my dear lord. Um, no, uh, I, I really consider it a masterpiece of filmmaking. I mean, it's it's. Abs- I cannot find one thing about it that I would change. It's very like a modern fable. It's very like this. Uh, in fact, Charles Lawton himself, this could be considered maybe a transition into trivial bits. Uh, Charles Lawton himself uh, considered it almost a twisted mother goose tale. He described it as such that he viewed it as sort of like a, a twisted, perverse kind of mother goose uh, fairy tale. Uh, but it has that sort of fable like quality. The characters are a bit larger than life. Uh, they're almost more archetypal than they are uh, real realistic. But uh, it, yeah, it's it's a powerful film. And it, like I said, it delighted me so much to know that you enjoyed it and and that, yeah, you responded to it the way you did. As a possible on ramp too. uh the trivial bits uh this may be stealing one but i wanted to defend your uh flirting with the use of that word you that 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 you use occasionally um so in my you know modest research i did after watching it there is i don't know if you saw this there's some french mag french film magazine and i'm not gonna even bother to try to pronounce the name because you know French, um, but they, <laughs> but apparently this very influential French film magazine actually selected this film in 08 as the second best film of all time. Yeah, I mean, behind I mean, Citizen Kane. That, yeah. that really kind of blew me away. I mean, I, I can, as you've sort of already outlined, I can definitely see a case that repeat viewings just continue to yield more and more you know, kind of layers and richness to it. Oh, it's, it's, it absolutely does. And it's not just for the moments that you didn't catch, but you, you see different, I know this is my experience of it, that you see certain moments differently, that one thing that really stands out to you in one viewing of it, uh, might just pass right by in another viewing, but then there'll be another moment that severely stands out either from a thematic perspective or just a, a haunting quality to it. And yeah, we'll get into, when we get into themes, we'll get into some of the things that i 
latched onto this time around, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to say. Um, really, I wanted to kind of keep it brief on trivial bits this time around. Just, uh, you know, obviously it's Charles Lawton's only film, uh, which again makes me sad, but also kind of delights me that it's this very specific little treasure. Robert Mitchum campaigned heavily to get the role of Harry Powell. He badly, desperately wanted it. I mean, he he pursued either through his agent or through contacting Lawton directly, but he heavily pursued obtaining the role and cited in later years that it was the favorite role that he had ever performed. The the only other major trivial bit that I had is, as uh, so frequently the case with some of these classics, it was a failure at the time of its release. It did not make a lot of money, uh, was considered a box office failure, and so it, it was not appreciated until later in in uh you know recent years i want to say maybe the last 20 30 years it finally started to garner some appreciation but i don't know if you would know anything about this the actress who plays rachel cooper um her name is lillian gish and she is a very famous silent film star it would be the equivalent of you know like uh Somebody who's somebody who's been retired for a while. Uh, let's say there's a spy thriller that is coming out, and uh, it's a brand new spy thriller, and directed by a prominent director, blah blah blah. And as a surprise in the film, Sean Connery comes out of retirement to play a very James Bond esque type of type of character. Uh, that was sort of the equivalent of Lillian Gish being in Night of the Hunter. She, I think, had had retired already, and Charles Lawton lulled her back. And I love this story. He said that. Um, he said when he was a little boy, people would sit up straight and look at the movie theater and give the movie theater their entire attention. But these days, of course, he's talking about the 50s. He said these days, people slouch back, they eat their popcorn, they sort of lazily watch movies. And he wanted to bring Lillian Gish and have her presence there because he wanted people to sit up straight again when they're watching movies. And I just, something about that That's story cool. just really delighted me, especially because of the type of character Lillian Gish plays and, uh, where she comes so late in the film. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was a really nice story that I wanted to share. But that's really all I wrote down, even though there's a wealth of things we could talk about, uh, trivially speaking. Uh, wanted to get into the meat of, of theme and likes, dislikes, etc. Real quick, do you know, uh, I, d- I did not read extensively, uh, like this thought occurred to me and then I forgot to actually look it up. So I'm wondering production-wise, do you notice, you know, when she is speaking in the opening Right. When she is speaking in the opening and those children's faces are about. Yes. Do you notice that Pearl is present, but John is not? I did notice that. Yeah. And, and in I, fact, and in fact, there's another boy who is who's not later in the film. Yeah. I don't know what that's all about. I actually did try to look up that specifically because I did find it odd that Pearl is there in the lower right hand corner, but John's not. Um, I don't know what the intention behind that was. It may have been something as simple as the actor was not working that day, or that was an insert shot done after the fact. Sure. Um, I don't. I wasn't able to find in my brief research uh, what the source of that particular quirk was. Um, but yeah, I did. I did take note of that. I always found that interesting. Um, cool. Well, let's if 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 you're let's if do you're it. Good. Let's do yeah, it. Let's, let's let's do it. Jump in, jump so, in the mix here. So I will keep my likes dislikes brief. Uh, I like the whole movie. Okay. <laughs> no, I just I like the whole movie. Like, there's nothing. I will say, and uh, and we can maybe go back and forth a little bit on this. I mean, obviously the performances are outstanding. I'm sure you probably noted it somewhere, but dang, Robert Mitchum is just he's he's a tour great. de force. If I ever saw one in this film, he 
he's just such a charismatic presence, but he blends this this sort of attractive charisma with menace so effectively. And well, and and you know, admittedly, I have I can't even think of another Robert Mitchum performance I might have seen. So I'm, I'm you know, our older listeners may wag their finger at me for that, possibly rightly so, but. So, so I, I suppose I should acknowledge that this performance for me is a bit in a vacuum as far as he goes. But one thing that just struck me, you know, I, I love the current kind of blockbuster crop of movie era we live in, but he, that's, that's just an actor doing his thing. Yes. You know, like there's no, no question. there's no fancy editing. Uh, there's no makeup. There's no, yep. it, I would even say, even though uh, someone might push back on this, I don't even call what he does scenery chewing. It is just owning the stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like oh, he is yeah. just present and, and capable. And, and even to me, one of the most challenging things about that role is even, even though his menace is, is pretty sustained. Yeah. It's, there's still there's still dynamics to the delivery. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, unquestionably. I don't feel like it's just I'm angry. I'm the bad guy the whole time. Right. You know? Right. Well, some of the some of the ways that he deals with Pearl, the rhythm when uh, when it's just and we can go ahead and get into all all sorts of spoilers. So after he has disposed of poor Shelley Winters and that dinner scene where he's talking with Pearl and yeah that's I re- a great moment the, the, I love how he goes from this rhythm of where she's like I'm hungry and he's like we have fried chicken and apple cobbler right. you know like he's so he's so sort of sing-songy and kind of playful and then when she won't tell him where the money is he he's he's like freaking you know tell me you miserable disgusting little wretch and then it's like this fire comes yeah, into his eyes yeah. it's it's absolutely incredible it's a volcanic performance and it's almost the kind of performance that makes you like want to and you already are more so than I am but it's the kind of performance that makes you want to be an actor you're like I want to I want to do that I want to be yeah, on that level he's somewhere. so good oh he's so he's so wonderful I think in that regard the only person who he sort of, like you said, it, w- it isn't quite scenery chewing, but the only person that he doesn't quite upstage for me is Lillian Gish. I think. Oh, li- no, no, no. They're very, they're, they're very well paired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the performances overall are, are really very strong. Uh, even solid performances by the two children actors, even though uh, Pearl is given much less to do than John is given to do. But uh, Well, I, I wonder if that's a performance capacity thing she <laughs> that might be very much able to d- d- display very much range there that's a good point um i do feel like for me and again maybe the universals spoiled me a little bit because more or less the universals there's not a whole lot of uh filmmaking flourish to them if that makes any sense while sure. still being kind of not a jerk towards them like movies this age i just don't come expecting much of right um, and so I'm, I'm impressed when even not expecting much, I get even more, if that makes any sense. Oh, so like, yeah. for instance, night of living dead, for instance, I, I had no expectation of it. All I know is age. And thus I assign a little bit of, okay, well, I'm going to lower the bar a little bit for it. And then it's like, oh, well it, it cleared that bar and then, and then some, sure. um, so for this one, similarly, you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to give this a go. Don't, don't really know what I'm watching here. But then there's so many fantastic 
flourishes in terms of the filmmaking. Yes. You know, and so, I, I mean, I've got a, a bevy of those, but like the shadow shot of Mitchum from the street, you know, when oh, he's be- yes. behind the little boy that there's a great shot um, that that has a theatrical kind of feeling to it and really is a little odd in an, on on its own, but just kind of works in this abstract kind of way. The scene where he is it's right before he kills Shelly Winters. So yeah, uh, yeah, the scene when she's in bed, it's like this wide shot of this cutaway of the, of that room. And he's clothed and standing at the foot of the bed and doing this odd kind of physicality with his hand. Oh yeah. 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 It's yeah. just this really well staged shot. Yeah. Um, really well staged scene that I really loved. Um, the, similarly, the scene of him and the kid descending into the cellar. Oh my gosh, I love every every frame of that sequence is is so powerful to me. Well, you know what's interesting is you you reference this and I again, I didn't know anything about the movie before going into it. But when the kids were on the boat, um floating as they were. Um <laughs> uh actually what I wrote down was this it, that it enters a Grimm's fairy tale kind of aesthetic. Yes. And, and if you, ju- if you, at the moment, at the moment when I wrote that, I didn't pair these things together. But what I did say in my notes of that scene of them in the cellar was it felt like a diorama. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? Like the old shoebox you'd make the little scene of, the right. little diorama. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, there's this real intentional kind of before watching it and before the river scene, I don't know that I would have used the phrase fairy tale. But once the kids are on the river, that's exactly what I wrote down. You know, you got the stars twinkling. You had Pearl singing. All the all the animals. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in fact, in fact, what I wrote down is, it's like the animals are are going to start singing in a Disney movie, but the song is like, "We're all screwed." You know, like <laughs> exactly we're screwed. Right. You're screwed. We're all screwed. You know, just oh, like so true. Well, and um, and so on that animal note. So one thing that is speaking of a couple of connections we've already called out to. Uh, one thing, and it doesn't tie directly into theme, but one thing that stood out to me so specifically in this viewing of it that hadn't before, um, even though I was very familiar with the moment and the line and everything, the film is called The Night of the Hunter, so that could mean you know several different things. There's a novel by the same name, but it's one of the things that stuck out to me is when they're when uh, Miss Cooper and Harry Powell are having their little standoff at the towards the climax of the film. And there's a moment where she looks up and she sees an owl hunting a rabbit. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. yeah she sees yeah. an owl hunting a rabbit and it's, it's very, it's done very almost blink and you'll miss it. She just watches as this poor rabbit uh, is sort of, you know, just eating its food, doing its thing. And then that owl hunts it and then swoops down and, and grabs it, and then she has that line. You and I uh, talked off mic about how virtually every line she has is completely quotable. That was what you said, and I completely agree. Is uh, But she said, it's a hard world for little things. And yeah. that stood out to me so much in, in this viewing of it when it hadn't resonated as powerfully to me in previous viewings. But there's so many thematic and metaphorical connections that you could draw from virtually every every scene in the film and that's something that i love that's a big even beyond like dislike i just i love the thematic richness the narrative richness it very much almost like shakespeare almost like greek uh tragedies and comedies uh ancient mythology like it is that story that is almost two sentence simple you could you could 
describe the events that happened in the movie in just a couple of sentences, but that would not do justice to the richness of those moments when you see them. Sure. Play sure. Um, and I love that about it. Well, a couple other uh, kind of likes, dislikes before we move too much further. I love, I'm going to call him old man, Pete. I know that's not his name, but oh, that's yeah. just the name Uncle that came Bernie. to me while I was watching. There you go. No, old man, Pete. Old man um, Pete. yeah, <laughs> I love when he catches the fish and I wrote, that's how you do it. You just sling, you just sling it into the boat. You know, Start it's like whacking at it with the roll. It's like, it was like, it was like the Swedish chef and his fish, you know, it's just like, it just hurls into the boat. I was like, wow, that was, that was an impressive catch. Um, the, I, I do want to give myself a little bit of props here. Um, Maybe you you might be like, well, Nathan, that's it's really on the nose, and you're allowed that. But I loved how when they're in the river, I thought, oh, Moses in the basket, and then she starts telling. Oh, the story and then she starts Moses telling the story. The and I was like, there yeah. we go. Look at there. That's right. Um, I'm I am smart. I is kind. <laughs> um, my very last like dislike was simply I wrote I said I hate guns, but her coming out of the house with the shotgun might be one of the best moments of a character with a gun I've seen ever. It's like, yes, I, I, I I had this urge to whoop like, Oh, Oh, yeah, man. Oh yeah. Well, and I love what I love about that moment so much. Um, this is not, you know, specifically something that I would say in themes, but what I love about that moment so much is I love the look on John's face when he tells her he ain't my dad. I don't know why I get so emotional when I say that, but this is a child who, since his, since the death of his dad, and maybe even when his dad was alive, has not been able to look at any authority figure with any sort of trust, with any sort of confidence. Even, you know, poor Uncle Bertie didn't help them. His mom is just off the deep end. Harry Powell is what he is. He's not yet had an authority figure that he can trust and respect. Um, and then the, the smile on his face when he says he ain't my dad because he knows before the words are even out of his mouth he knows miss cooper's gonna believe me and miss cooper's gonna have my back and that just touches me so much you know and and i love her reaction too she she snaps on it right in a second she's like no and he ain't no preacher neither and then like you said just runs in and gets the gun and it's like yes oh it's so awesome i i love that moment so much it touches me um just the confidence that he shows in her in that scene no, I'm with you. Like that is that's a fantastic scene. Honestly, once bear in mind this is my first viewing. So her appearance at the top of the movie is a little odd in the moment when you're watching it for the first sure, time. Sure, sure. It, there's no connective tissue at the moment. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And then when she shows back up, it's like, oh, okay. Here's our here's our bookend. Here's right. our anchor. Here's right. our frame. Um, I mean, that's all I have for likes dislikes. We can we can. Well, sure. I did write, there's always money in the doll or banana stand, which is just a stupid joke. But um, <laughs> as far as scares go, um, I mean, again, uh, the only real two that I have is just his performance. I mean, you, you used a great word in terms of volcanic. It's so um, potent and, yeah, and, absolutely. and, for, and formidable. Um, well, maybe this will, will bleed into three, but one of them is going to be thematically related. The other one was more this idea of of what it how scary and how sad it is for a child who's forced into situations that they don't ask for and are afraid of oh yeah absolutely like like that's just such a it reminds me thematically of other movies we've we've covered but just 
you know, your, your, your need to empathize creates this really disheartening, depressing sort of like these children deserve better kind of feeling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I also find it just, uh, that moment when he, see, you're saying all these things and I have a, I have a specific moment that I'll reference to it. Cause like the moment right after his mom has, has died and then he's sitting there. I think I forget what's about to happen. I think it's just that Harry Powell has come home and Miss Spoon has left them alone with him or whatever. It's, it's a single shot of John just looking down at the floor and biting his index finger. It's a brief shot, but there's so much worry and dread and, and you can see the, uh, the, you know, the poor little actor is doing probably something very simple, but in the context of the story, he's you can see the wheels just turning of like, what am sure. I going to do? What am I, how am I yeah. going to get out of this? I'm alone with this man. There's no more protection. There's nowhere for me to run. And it's just this simple little thing of just John looking down at the floor and biting his his fingernail. And uh, and yeah, it's it, it really moments like that stand out. And that's that's what's really so terrifying to me about the film is that all of this is happening to these two little children who until the end of the film have literally no protection. They are all on their own because even when their mom is alive, she's no help. She's no right, you know, right. no buffer to them. Um, and and in terms of a legitimate scare, is uh, I'll I'll mention one scare and then sort of a creepiness. Um, the legitimate scare is I remember watching this when I was a little kid and getting so tense and anxious when he when they first like lock him in the cellar and then run away. From from that, from the moment he like breaks out of the cellar until they get to the skiff and start trying to pull away from the marsh and he like comes near and he's chasing after them and almost catches them in the marsh. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he almost like he gets out uh, waist deep in the water and then lets out this animal howl like a screech and it's uh, like a wailing almost Uh, that whole sequence just used to freak me out as a kid Um, well I I wonder too if you um, and and you're watching or reading or listening to (laughs) um, (laughs) if uh, you know his his reaction at being shot or shot out or whatever exactly happens when she fires at him um, is so big it does almost jar the movie a little bit do you know what i'm yeah. talking about oh yeah oh yeah it's animalistic when he, when he, yeah well see it, in the it's moment when it, it's when he yelps he's like he he's he's yelping like do some it sort for of, us what does he do i'm not what gonna i'm not gonna yelp <laughs> on this podcast I, come on that's no no, no, no. but no it's come like on. it's 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 the sound you would make if or it's the sound a dog would make if a dog was wounded it's that it's that sure yelping no no sort I, of sound i, I I understood what was happening. It just, it flirted with a little, in that moment for me, uh, first time viewing, it flirted a little bit with too big. It was like, okay. Um, It's just a really strong, a very strong, deliberate choice in terms of the vocalization that happens when he flees into the barn. Well, I'll I'll say this on it, and not that this film can do no wrong. I mean, obviously, everybody, I agree with you. It's It's a strong choice. It's almost an absurd choice. But yes, that's a good way to put it. Like, like it is very absurd. But think about this: like the whole time. Again, film's called Night of the Hunter. We have um, echoes thematically and narratively to like a predator kind of pursuing their prey. Sure, sure. And then in this moment, the predator, the ravening wolf, or whatever you want to call him as the metaphor in that scene, has been wounded. 
He's been right, right, he's right, been right. vanquished, as it were. So I actually love the fact that when he runs away, he howls like some sort of yelping dog. I th- I, I adore that choice. I would, well, I can I can see you know I, again I can see I can see the defense you're building for that and don't dismiss it for a first time viewing and not necessarily having psychologically committed whole hog to the. Um, fairy tale motif just because right, i didn't right. quite realize it was there it can feel a little out of place like okay that's a very strong choice bordering on absurd yeah yeah and i, t- I totally understand that yeah do um, you read also do you? are you sure i do i do i'm just kidding <laughs> um the the one thing that i'll say for creepiness and then we can dive right into themes is uh, just every time that he's approaching or in the distance and singing that song uh-huh. i just chills chills every single time it's because robert mitchum's got a really good voice it's very sure it's a very pleasant sound to hear it's almost like a well right in another setting that is a welcoming voice absolutely you know I mean? the, and, and in fact he intends it as such yes you know and and for many people it has the effect he goes for yeah absolutely but uh but it is so ominous at the same time and it's just it's it's real it's a it's a very powerful choice usually overlaid with like a silhouette in a moonlit sort of scenario and uh, what is that's a it's a great bit when the kids have slept in the barn before they find powell and (laughs) is it powell no cooper cooper um before they find cooper at the end and he's silhouetted against the backdrop against the the sunrise and singing and john says like do you ever sleep you know it's just this great (laughs) this great kind of moment of reality yeah absolutely so yeah, I mean the the film definitely has. I mean it is considered um, a horror or a or a thriller, even though it's you know uh, very dramatic in a lot of ways. But it's definitely in that in that genre, uh, even if only loosely so. Um, so it has its scare factors, although it's not the kind of film that I think is going to give anybody nightmares. There's some definite creepy moments. There's some tense and anxious ones as well. So yeah, it's it's effective on all fronts. <laughs> Well, I feel like um, I, I worry a little bit about our our um, time in terms of how much text is staring at me for thematic stuff. So maybe we sure. should maybe we should dive into that. Um, Let's do it. So, like I said, just the the experience of watching the movie it, it had this rolling effect of you know every fifteen minutes or so you'd bump into some new. There are some new sort of presentation of theme. I'll just bullet point a couple of little thoughts real quick, but I've got sure. two pr- two pretty majors that um, I'd be interested to to share and or get your feedback on. Um, yeah. So one of them, uh, you know, clearly the very on the nose top of the top of the movie, beware of false prophets sort of text. I mean, this yeah. movie's kind of dripping with that. Um, I mean, even I, I have this history of just writing down lines that are meant to r- represent themes, but. Man, is it is it Harper in the jail with him who says what religion you in, preacher? Oh, and he yes. says yeah. the religion the Almighty in me worked up betwixt us. Yes. He says, I What mean, religion dude, do you profess? Yeah. Preacher. Do you profess? That's it. Yeah. Okay. I mean that line, uh, that's that's your theme right there. Like, oh, you, yeah. you, could, you could take that in a very cynical place. Here's a random one that I want to throw at you and just get your thoughts on, um, and then you you can jump in here. Uh, I give you permission. I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't you don't need permission. You can always jump in. Um, I I draw a really interesting parallel between Carrie White's mother and Robert Mitchum's character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because as I was watching it, 
both of them have these very abusive uses of religion. Yes. Uh, but, well, although I, I suppose you could make the case Carrie White's mother maybe doesn't realize she's abusing it, whereas Mitchum's character very much feels like he is extremely self-aware of what he is doing. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. I was just I was just kind of assessing those two characters. I feel like she is so outrageous and clearly cast as crazy, at least in the film, in the De Palma film. You know, no one in that story treats her with any respect or authority right right i mean they're all right. gonna they're all gonna they're all gonna laugh at you um whereas mitchum is very respected he's very dignified by the community i don't know i just found it kind of an interesting parallel that those most may seem like a random random no, thing to compare I, I think it's i think it's worth diving into that for a second because so one thing that i would that i would slightly challenge or kick back on just a little bit and it's a question mark i have so i'm not going to fight it too hard I have asked myself in previous viewings and in this most recent one, is he manipulative or delusional or is he a blend of both? Because I think that the situation with Carrie White's mother from Carrie, she is delusional. She's clearly she's clearly just like off her rocker. And it would be really easy to couch Harry Powell in sort of the other bucket, that he's just a shyster, he's just a fraud, he's just, um, you know, that he's he's clearly just this uh, person who manipulates the text of the scriptures and the uh, vulnerabilities of people to get what he wants from them. But then I think about moments when he's, like, in the car by himself or alone. Right, and right. he acts as if he's genuinely in some relationship with some sure. version of the Lord. Like he acts. Oh that yeah. Way. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't, I receive what you, per, what you intended or thought might be kickback. Like, I, I think you're correct, but, but just because you believe something, you know, and, and, or might be in your words, delusional in this case with him, though, I think that's a strong word for him, but I, I, you know, I'd have to look up precisely what delusional meant, but um, in terms of how he applies that is to a very manipulative end. And yes, I think, yes, I, I think no as question. I compare the, as I compare the two of them, yes, I agree with you. They both are a bit, we would call them unorthodox in how they're applying the, the, the scriptures. No question. But I don't believe Carrie White's mother understands the manipulation she's she's executing ah, whereas i think yes. I, th- I think he very much is knows to him the faith he's exercising is one of control and and you know that's it's the old testament sort of god as as you know righteous war bringer and i'm just i'm just an arm of the lord brother you yeah. know what i mean like yeah like to the degree that he sees moments like being stuck in the same cell with ben harper as Acts of serendipity, acts of providence. Sure, sure. He, he sure. sees making those connections as well. This is this is the Lord guiding me. This is the Lord taking me where I'm where I'm supposed to be. And that's one of the truly frightening elements of the film is those sort of coincidental moments that he distorts and uses as fodder for his. You know, well, clearly, uh, I remember there was a um, a book that I had seen, I don't even remember the title of the book because I didn't read it. I just saw the back cover of it in a bookstore and it was one of those like preview 
sentences from the book. And it said, supposedly, this serial killer was trying to capture all these people. And he basically said, like, well, you know, if it's if it wasn't the Lord's will, then they wouldn't be home when I went hunting for them. But they were home. So it must be the Lord's will. Now, clearly, that's clearly that's twisted and demented and, and not at all the Lord of the Gospels. But. It is one of those sort of twisted and frightening little things, how people can say like, well, look, look at the evidence. This was this all lined up perfectly for me to be able to do this. So clearly some hand is at work here. And that's one of the truly frightening things about it is to see that there are people who when you try when they try to sort of present evidence for their version of the Lord or their version of God, um, they have evidence to support their particular sure. claims that doesn't sure. mean they're right but they right. have evidence to support their particular claims and that's that's frightening that's unsettling um and he's definitely in that camp i also i don't know if this is if this is relevant to one of the themes but just to, to mention it and even just sort of hit and run with it but the fickle passion and i will use those words very deliberately the fickle passion of miss spoon who is so on Is that the old lady? That's the old lady, yeah. Oh, I hate her. She's awful. I think she's probably as villainous as he is. Oh, there's no question about that. If I can speak that strongly. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. And is intended to be. I mean, she is so on board with... She's on with Harry Powell. You know, she's she is just so taken in with him to the fact she has known Willa Harper for years but immediately believes that she's taken to drinking and run away and all of this other sort of stuff when this very shady guy comes in to, you know, just to sweep everybody away. And uh, and so she's she's terrible. And then the fact that at the end, she really has not changed at all in her fickle passions. It's just now turned against Harry Powell instead of being his champion. Now she's lynch him, you, lynch him. Okay, you know? okay. Well, well, okay. That you bring up a good moment there because um, this won't derail any themes or, or reinterpret them. But I got a little confused by those those scenes. Oh, okay. um, so clarify for those who haven't watched the movie or even those of us who have and just were kind of scratching our heads a little bit like why is cooper and the kids why are they fleeing and why is the mob is the mob just after him because he's revealed for the charlatan he is yes and if that's the case then why are cooper why is cooper on the run cooper's cooper's just running away because she doesn't want to be the focal point of their hysteria okay okay because in in the moment it felt like okay is she running from them as an active active object of their wrath? No, no, no. They are not trying okay, to hurt okay. her in any capacity. They're just trying to do what they've done earlier in the film of just, you know, oh, this is there she is. There's the there's the one, you know, they want they want to hold up on some sort of pedestal these people who one of the things I love about Cooper is and this you could definitely, you know, spend the rest of our episode talking about faith uh, or in in terms of theme, the faith of practical lived in integrated life kind of faith versus the performance faith where they the, the Harry Powell is obviously we've already talked about he's using what he knows of the scriptures and using his charisma to manipulative ends and 
Miss Spoon feeds into that. So then in the end, when he's... Did you say, did you say spoon feed? Is that what she said? That's really funny. Um, <laughs> so Miss Spoon uh, throws gasoline on the fire. <laughs> so so she, she goes in that direction with it. So then in the end, as you put it, when he's revealed to be the charlatan he is, so all of that same emotion and all of that same sort of lack of discernment there's not a humbling to it at all no. there's not a humbling to her character at all she just turns from being the person who's really pro harry powell to being you know lynch him lynch him that they, they want to see you know the mob mentality light the torches and pick up the clubs and let's go after this guy and so that's who she turns into um that is not at all substantial. That's very double-minded. That's very just whatever is of the now is where you're going to turn your attentions to versus Miss Cooper's very even, very tempered, sure, very sure. discerning, very wise, very compassionate. All of those you wonderful could say, accolades. You, you, you might read, say that she's a strong tree with branches for many birds and she's good for something in this world and she knows it, man. That's right. She, That's she right. She knows it. You know what, what a I, beautiful so, line. Oh, I Good love Lord. that. I love that line so much. Well, and you could echo another Bible verse. I mean, the the scripture verse that I was going to bring into this, and I'll just go ahead and say it because there's no real need to hold back, is the iconic Matthew seven fifteen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. But if I were going to bring in a different one, n- indeed, John and Pearl traveled down the river and then they encounter a tree planted by the water whose roots run deep, you know, like wow. they, it, that wow. is it, yeah. they, they indeed encounter, you know, a tree that is not moved by the by right. the sways right. and and by the the climate of the times. It, this this woman just knows her place in the world and is producing good. Well, and it's it's funny. Can. It's funny. You know, those movies or stories where a Christ figure or a God figure is so on the nose you're like okay we get it um you know so but what's so beautiful is when a story does that but it's in such a lovely way such a such Mm. a sort of potent and strong way where this this character though representing certain sort of uh lofty intangibles is still unto themselves a believable character you know oh yeah absolutely um uh another kind of bullet point uh, thematic idea is John with the apple. Holy cow! What a great moment! Oh I mean, it's man, like, when he gives her the like, apple as a present, yeah. you're talking about oh, so well, lovely. To be clear, to to those who haven't seen it, he removes an apple from her Christmas tree, yeah. wraps it in her doily, and hands it to her as a gift, and she receives it and calls it the richest gift a body could have. Yes, I mean just a beautiful, beautiful illustration. Um, oh, it's wonderful. I feel like I'm I'm about to burst here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm I'm quivering with cleanness, so I'm gonna jump in. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I'm all a quiver with the thematic ideas, Reed. Oh my goodness! Uh, I swing. Um, yeah, okay. So I want you to jump in. I want you to like just like pounce in as you. Oh, need I to. will. So there are two. There are two kind of major things and themes that have just been resonating in my spirit it's not often that i'll write down thematic ideas and then revisit the notes multiple times to sort of tweak and readjust and and this movie really did that for me and so i'm not sure which one's going to be stronger or better or whatever than the other show doesn't really matter order here but um the the first thematic idea um if i can title it a thing i I would title it the song reclaimed Mm. and 
and I find it interesting. I, I know this was not intentional, um, but movies like Train to Busan, movie like mm. Bride of Frankenstein, uh, now in this case, Night of the Hunter, where songs become central tethers, central central thread that ties together really powerful thematic ideas. Mm, yeah. You know, and, and, and man, in this particular movie, Night of the Hunter, there may be, to me, no more appropriate illustration of... There may be no, no more appropriate illustration of Powell's love-hate imagery, you know, yeah. the, oh, yeah. the tattoos, of the scene of them singing. Yes. I don't, I don't, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how, how resonant this will be for you, but that... It's my favorite scene in the movie, so anything you say about it, I'm going to love. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it is rich. Yes. And I'm going to get poetic here, but that his hate, his hate, mm-hmm. would appropriate the song of the righteous... And use it to manipulate and to coerce and to steal, kill mm. and destroy is set against her love, reclaiming the song of the faithful yeah. as she draws these children to her like a mother hen as she keeps watch by night that no harm may come to them, that the two of them oh, yeah. sing in unison and or wrestle in the spirit for mm. the souls of those who can't defend themselves. Yeah. Oh, and, that's and, wonderful. And brother, I'm about to preach. I'm going to take this one step further. I have had in my head all day. Um, I'm going to get nerd nerdy here for a second. Um, uh, <laughs> I, this is a super random interjection, but I had this thought today. Like the things that have lasted from my college days are my relationship with you, my knowledge of U2 lyrics and stage directions in a theater. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's a good I, I don't I mean, you know. Potentially, people should remember more from the college days. But uh, specifically, I'm on the I'm on a podcast with you right now, so that's representative one. We're not going to talk about stage stuff, but a U two. It's not even a lyric. Um, at the beginning, the very opening track of "Rattle and Hum" from '87, '86, somewhere in there. Mm, yeah, '88 um, is "Helter Skelter." Right? You remember this? "Helter Skelter." Yeah. Oh, yes, remember? and I know where you're going now. Yes. Do you remember what he says to open it? He says, this is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing We're it back. We're stealing it back. Brother, yep. there is a spirit of this age, and it is sometimes personified in individuals. It is sometimes personified in groups. It is sometimes personified in mindsets. Come on it, now. That, that, that parades and wears the outer garb, uses the language, sings the songs of the brethren, and calls it good. Yeah. All the while, it is really just pulling our strings. It is manipulating our fears. It is stealing our money. It is dividing our families. It is killing our mothers. It is harassing our sisters. It is deceiving our communities. And it is lying to our faces. Yep. We we sing the same song. Yep. We do. Yep. The the words, the notes, the melody, the harmony, the rhythm, the tempo. It is the same song, but it is not the same spirit. Yes. Absolutely. It is the spirit. It is not the same spirit. It is a different spirit. It is the spirit of the young boy obeying the father in the face of terror and judgment. Mm -hmm. It is the spirit of the old woman with a shotgun standing sentinel outside a house full of children needing a Christmas. Yeah. Yep. Um, You know, ours, uh, I might piss some people off. Read (laughs) ours. Ours is a song that 81% of evangelicals stole from the ancient church. And brother, we got to steal it back. (laughs) Ours is the song that Jerry Falwell stole from the faithful. Mm. And we got to steal it back. Yeah. 
Um, all we have to do is sing and protect the least of these or the little things as the movie calls them. And Christ's work is not in vain. We can sing the same damn Jesus song. And it is only, only the heart of the singer that determines the meaning. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, and it, it just go, please go. Yeah. Do you know what I love about that? And this is a subtle moment. I'm going to get practical for a second before I get philosophical. Do it. Practical. She's only singing the backup part of that song. So the main melody is leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, uh, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. The backup portion or the portion that a chorus of backup singers might be singing is the part that she sings where it's this leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. So on a practical way, she's just singing the backup portion of the song, but there's a very specific Charles Lawton wasn't wasn't a believer. Okay, this is this is sure. just something that that comes out of it. But on a very practical way, he's singing the sort of the primary melody. She's the one who is actually leaning on Jesus. Like she's the one who is actually leaning on the substance of her faith. I know that it's in a practical sense, it's just the the backup portion of the song. But in a very philosophical way inherent in the 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 actual thing that they are singing they're singing something different he's just sure. singing leaning she is a she is a participant he is an instru- the 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 lead right yes. i mean like yeah, that's yeah, sort yeah. of what you're saying like she's she's leaning she's participating she is you know carrying out uh right. you know she is the chorus uh, i'm not even going to use the whole driver metaphor of 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 christ and and the church the stupid bumper sticker <laughs> right. theology but but that's the idea i think that you're going for there yeah 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 that she is she hers is actually she is actually the one who's doing what the song says that she's doing and he's only using it because it's the song that he knows and because it's you know it just echoes and reverberates around in his head but she understands the substance of what it actually is because she spends every day of her life doing it she spends every day of her life leaning on a force that's stronger than hers that's a calling that she's adopted and that she's taken in full force i love that when she sees john and pearl and realizes the bewilderment in their face when she asks about their family and she's like well, it looks like I've got two more mouths to feed. You know, like just yeah, accepts it. Yeah, just like, yeah. okay, well, welcome home. Here we go. Like, let's come on in. And I, that is obviously my favorite scene in the film. Um, I couldn't resonate more strongly with what you what you are articulating there about reclaiming and taking it back. Um, I think you've said everything as, as well as I could say it. I'll just echo an amen uh, that, yes, that moment where the two of them are singing the same song, but with utterly different intentions, with utterly different hearts. Um, they're both armed, one as a predator and the other as a defender. I mean, like you could sure, I mean, yeah. go on and on and well, on. Well, I, I feel like for me, that's probably, you know, uh, and not just of quote-unquote horror movies that we cover for the show, but that moment and Bride of Frankenstein, Old Blind Man and Frank scene are probably two of the most just formidably rich, you know, theologically potent scenes I've seen in films in a very long time. I mean, those yeah. are power, oh, yeah. powerful, powerful images. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree I, more. You know, something you, you flirted with this earlier, sort of pivoting into my, uh, I suppose, final sort of thematic idea here. Um you you referenced the title of the movie and and i was really dwelling on that a lot um just trying to because 
because though there is this way in which thematic ideas kind of roll into each other like like billiard balls in the movie there still is something consistent throughout right like in other yeah. in other words in other words i was trying to wrestle down okay i don't necessarily want to 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 microscope down to one particular thing and at the at ignoring something more present and so i was thinking about the title i was thinking about the fact that she bookends the movie sure right um and i don't know i i almost felt like and what i wrote is if if you were to title this theme it was the night of the hunter and then an ellipsis as though as though it wasn't a finished thought you know so so clearly he is i say this clearly to to me if you if we're going with the notion of him as the hunter of the title right yeah oh yeah he clearly is um yeah. you know it, it, it he wears this this righteousness like a costume you know, yeah. a, a, a thing to play in to gain his own pursuits. Well, I'm going to surprise you and throw a couple of scriptures at you. Um, I just found this really fascinating kind of duality of that. The, 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 the title references the night. And so, okay, that, that put me in the frame of mind of night and day, you know, just sort of this, this dual dualistic kind of idea. Right. And in scripture and in life, you know, night is, or can be a thing to endure, right? Like yes, yes, a journey to get through. You know, the when when your child is sick, when your spouse is sick, when when someone you love has died, when when you yourself are sick, the night is dreadful, right? Right. You right. know, like like it the, the 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 minutes tick by. You don't you don't sleep well. You're fitful. You're restless. And so I was just really thinking through that. It is night is where the hunters dwell mm. you know in, in the daylight they're withdrawn and hidden but it's the night where we can fall prey to them and and two particular scriptures thematically around this idea of the night came to me one or you know that i pursued and found one is psalm 139 and this is the niv but it's it's a it's a very recognizable passage and it says even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me to, to interpret those phrasings real quick, like night enshrouds this person, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's, say, it's saying the attempt is to go away and mm -hmm. into the night where things, w where, where light is not present, I will be hidden and right. following. It says, even the darkness will be, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night, the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. And one of the other really powerful verses I found that is actually fascinatingly resonant for where some conversations have been recently on, on the show, um, was in revelation 21. Mm. And it said the nations will walk by its light and the Kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Uh, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. Mm. And I just, I, I don't know, man, that just really sort of resonated with me. Like, in other words, if you go back to that idea of the title with an ellipsis after it, in other words, this isn't the last word. Right. Um, because, and the last note I had on this particular theme was where does it end? You know, where does the movie end? If, if, mm -hmm. if, if there's an ellipse, if we pretend there's an ellipsis after the title, the night of the hunter in the night of the hunter, <laughs> it ends at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the incarnation whose very existence abolishes the night. Yes. 
and I was just really like thrown and impressed and awed and, you know, kind of whatevered by, you know, just kind of how much that sort of rang out, um, that, you know, like you, you could make the case, it's just sort of a feel good ending or whatever, but again, like you just said, whether Lawton intends these things, right when you said that, the thought that came to me was, if I believe anything at all whatsoever about God and faith and people, it is that like you just illustrated through your parsing the, the parts of the song, we are participants. We are, we are, we are, but players, you know, yeah, who, yeah. who strut and fret and are our upon the stage and then are no more. But the, the point being Lawton may not have been a believer, but there is something about the nature of story and and the subconscious sort of idea that we are participants and players in story and if you just carry this out on to to eternity in the story yeah where some of this stuff is just going to if if your if your heart and mind are keyed into it uh it's just going to present itself yeah you know what i mean yeah. Um, yeah. and and when you have when you have the nature of a story a fairy tale is a perfect example you know you you could use that phrase as a dismissal, right? Like, right, oh, it's just, right. nah, it's just a fairy tale. Eh, that's not really how life ends, is it? Not, I, I, yeah. You know, I mean, theologically speaking, for those of us who 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 believe perhaps that you know the final word is not hell and death, but that her gates will never be shut, then. I don't know. You yeah. Know, then, 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 then Christmas is coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and think the, about and the night when the night will end anyway. Yeah. And think about to, to riff on your saying it ends at Christmas and look at all the, la- I mean, what is one of the most prominent scripture verses quoted at Christmas time for unto us, a child is born for unto us, a son is given. And then look at all of the highlights where she herself is talking. She says, children are man at his strongest. They abide. And wow. yeah. she that's that's the final lines of the film. They abide and they endure. So it the film, the text of the film, not even interpretations of the film, right. the text of the film leaves you with this thought of despite the hardship of the world, despite the predators and the hunters that are in the midst, uh, ravening ferocious wolves uh, running around in sheep's clothing, despite all that. Children abide and endure the little things, the the fragile things they abide and they endure. And that's such a powerful and I would dare say prophetic sentiment to to speak into the midst of of this, that um, that there there is a substance to to standing up and to saying, like, no, these are the these are the strong ones. These are, you know, these are the ones they they and clearly in the film, they need protection. They need Miss Cooper's protection. But sure. But there is a a strength to them, to what they've endured and to what they've gone through. And I'll say this. This is drifting away from your very specific theme about night and and about that other. And I'm I'm just going to say this very quickly to we don't even have to unpack it. Um, I had mentioned to you off mic how this film is very American. And I mean, you know, it's all about sex and religion and money and through the whole thing a river runs through it <laughs> like it's it's just this very sort of americana kind of film you mean you mean that wasn't meant to just be a knife in his pocket there was, just, <laughs> there was nothing there's no, nothing more representative maybe, of that maybe 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 it was symbolic of something else uh, <laughs> so, uh, but 
But I will say this, like that moment at the end has always touched and haunted me when he sees Harry Powell being arrested and in the same body posture as he saw his father at the beginning right. of the film. Yeah. And yeah. he loses it and he, and he starts pounding the doll and the money goes flying like, take it, take it. I don't want it anymore. Take it. And I thought about this. The whole reason that his dad steals that money to begin with uh, would almost be deemed sort of Robin Hood or, or in, a, in a sick way, almost has a nobility to it. I don't think that his act is noble. He killed two people and he robbed a bank like it, it's not a noble act. But he said he was just sick of seeing people go hungry and and starve and he wanted something better for his children. And that can kind of be twisted into a sort of a, 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 a bastardized American ideal. Like, well, no, I just, I'm just going to sure, get what I need sure. for my children and, and who cares who else gets hurt? Who cares, you know, if, if not everybody else has everything else. And, and that's a burden. That's a burden. He left them because he purposefully and intentionally took himself out of the picture as if all his children right, needed right, right. was this materialistic, substantial thing as if they didn't need him. And, right. and it's just such a heartbreaking and uh, moving image at the end where John is, you know, pounding the secret on the back of Harry Powell. And he's like, just take it. I don't want it anymore. Take it, take it. Right. And, and you're right. Hearkening back to, he gives, her this gift that she already had she already had right, the apple right she already had the doily like th- she had the paperclip it was all hers already but she just delights in the fact that the, the uh, of this giving and this moment and that's the world he's in right now he's in a world where sure. quite frankly money doesn't matter very much what matters right. more is the substance of this and the abiding and the faith and the hope and the love and all of the things that you could go off on that's the world that he has now stepped into and been dare i say adopted into that he's been sure. adopted into sure. this new family this new home and uh it's just it's just lovely it's just absolutely beautiful i love this film i could talk for four more hours about this film this film is amazing and stunning and i love it love it love it if you have not seen this film and we've spoiled a lot but go watch this movie it's incredible and amazing and well and uh, you know you say we spoiled a lot i mean there's a lot of plot uh, that we've talked about but i mean every every corner turned uh or every bend floated down um there's a there's a new there's kind of a new thematic idea i mean we we hit on some of the majors but i mean there's a lot of rich stuff in there yeah couldn't couldn't agree more um then if you if you didn't have anything more burning that you wanted to get out of your system i think now's a good time for us to go ahead and bring in good old david s pumpkins um (laughs) as we as we do on every episode when we talk about a film we rate these by a very specific metric of uh, that in number of david s pumpkins the tom hanks saturday night live character emmy nominated saturday night live character thanks to Um, us that's right. We're responsible for that. Nobody else. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we rate them in three metrics, uh, that of style, scares, and substance. Uh, listeners can probably already guess where all of my votes are going to be, but I'll go ahead and start with style and uh, just cut right to the chase. This is a five. I mean, this is a, such a such a beautifully rendered, wonderfully realized, uh, perfectly executed little film. Um, yeah, five. Yeah, I mean, between the performances, between the not knowing what to expect and sort of, you know, having the roof blown off my expectations, um, I, I would echo your five here. And that's not just to not just to copy you there. 
What about in the area of scares? What would you what would you give it for scares? Um, that, I think that's the only place I would ding it. Um, I, you know, frankly, maybe oof, I, I, two. I okay. mean, it's just it's, it's not a very scary movie, so you know. Yeah, I can understand um, that. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give it, and a lot of this is my nostalgia and my history with it. I'm going to give it a four. Um, yeah, but a lot of that is just because when I was a kid, it really freaked me out, especially moments sure. like, I'll, I'll tell you what else freaked me out. I didn't mention this in Scares, but that image of after Shelly Winter's throat has been cut and she's just sitting at the bottom of the of the river with the... With old man Pete Sinner? Well, yeah, but the... the <laughs> The willows yes, are like yes. billowing, and her hair is doing the same thing. That's a creepy shot. That's just yeah, a really. That's a great shot. scene, and I thought that was an incredibly clear lake. Yes, no murkiness <laughs> there. No murkiness. Um, so, but yeah, I would I would give it a four for that. And uh, man, take a wild stab at me for substance, dude. Uh, clearly, I'm gonna say five. I'm gonna say yeah, five. Yeah, I'm gonna say it for me. It's. I'm gonna it, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a five for substance. If there ever was one, I mean, on a scale out of five, I would give it twelve for substance. It is so well. Rich. And what's yeah. so formidable about it is is you know a lot of times thematic stuff we kind of take germs or or seeds that the movie plants and kind of grow our own kind of theme that's related, but, but, you know, sometimes change it tangentially. Whereas this, you can do that with some of the stuff, but also thematically and, and substance wise, all of it's right there. I mean, you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't, you don't have to work. Uh, you could say the movie spoon feeds you, but, um, <laughs> but you really, you really don't have to work to get to the themes and the themes that are present are extremely rich and full and robust. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So that brings us to a very robust eight and a half out of ten. David S. Pumpkins for Night of the Hunter. Um, I think it's I think it's outstanding. If we were just rating it on style and substance, then it would oh, be yeah. a perfect ten. So take that for what it is. Um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's clearly a wonderful film. Clearly means a lot to me. I'm delighted to see how much it woke up and kind of stirred up in you because um, it just always makes me feel good when things I love and then my friends love it. Like it just that just makes me happy. So. Yeah, um, you should see this film if you haven't already, and if you do see it or if you've already seen it, uh, please hit us up. You can talk to us in a variety of ways because the fear of God may be the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Uh, you can reach out to us in a number of ways. The easiest and best way is probably through Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle read is at the fear of God. You can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they follow you on Twitter besides the fear of God? They can follow me on Twitter at the Nathan Rouse. You can also go to Facebook. You can like us there. You can like our posts, comment there. Uh, you can leave a post there yourself. You can go to morethanonelesson.com and leave a comment on the official post for this episode or any of our other episodes. You can go to uh, email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. One more plug to vote for hashtag I love the 90s. If you want to have your vote count, uh, then please do that uh, before September 1st. Um, and yes, if if you listen to us through iTunes, we would love a review. That would be fantastic. But either way, constant listener, we're just glad that you're here. We're just glad that uh, glad to have you. So, um, so yeah. So, listeners, we would love to uh, know your thoughts on this film or any of the things that we've talked about here. Um, so, please hit us up in any of those avenues and check out social media to see where we're going next week. And we will talk to you then. Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. You're welcome, friend. Likewise. See you next week, guys. Bye. Is this song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles?
We're still in the fight. What a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms What a blessedness What a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms Leaning on Jesus Leaning on Jesus Safe and secure from all arms. Leon Jesus, Leon Jesus, leaning on the everlasting. 